listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Let me invite you, uh, if you have a Bible, to turn to the New Testament. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of verses found in Romans 1. Uh, The normal practice at Lebanon Baptist Church is we like to spend a good amount of time studying the Bible, looking at what the Word says. And oftentimes we make our way through various books of the Bible. And just a few weeks ago, we started making our way through one of the most famous books of the Bible, the book of Romans. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was there in the first century. And of course, we believe that it was under the inspiration of God so that the words that Paul writes are uh, in fact words of God that he wanted recorded for us. And so today we have the honor and the privilege to look at a couple of verses today. In fact, I believe uh, uh, really the theme of the book. And so you've come on a good day if you're here today to hear what God says in these two verses. Let me direct your attention to Romans chapter 1. I'd like to read just two verses, verses that Mark read at the beginning of the service, but it's always good to remind ourselves of these two verses. It says this, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you join me as I ask God to help work in our hearts today? Father, we know that you are the God of all the universe and that you are everywhere at once. You know everything that's going on on this planet, everything in the universe And we thank you that you are here today. We're thankful that you have given to us your word, particularly these two verses that shout to us and announce to us the message of the gospel. Today, Father, I ask that you would help us to get a grasp of what these words mean and what they're saying. And Lord, would you... Would you grant us today understanding? If there are people in our auditorium today, Father, who have never embraced the gospel, have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, may today be the day that your spirit awakens their eyes that they would come to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior. And then for those in this room who have already done that and are growing and walking with you, that you would work in their hearts, that we would be a church that is not ashamed of the gospel, that we would be those that are eager to present it in our own context. Will you not today revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was early morning, September 8th, 1900, 
in Galveston, Texas, two brothers, weathermen, visited the beach to record incredibly large swells coming in and crashing the beach. They were part of the controversial and somewhat undependable weather bureau at the turn of the century. As they checked their readings, they had no idea of what was barreling toward them in the Gulf of Mexico, a massive hurricane. Yes, there were signs they could have and maybe should have seen. If they could have known what was coming, they could have issued an early warning, even that morning, to the residents of Galveston to move to higher ground and to go to places that maybe could protect them from the storm. However, they did not understand. They did not know. And by the next day, thousands upon thousands of residents would be dead in the deadliest hurricane in history, including the wife and daughter of one of those very men. If only someone could have issued the bad news of disaster that was coming upon them, so many lives could have been saved that fateful day. The Apostle Paul was no weatherman, but he did see a coming disaster. He knew the bad news, but more importantly, the Apostle Paul knew the good news, the incredible news of the gospel. And he had a desire not to go to Galveston, but to Rome in order to herald the message of the gospel to those who were lost in sin. He knew at this point when he was writing this letter that it was not the time. He couldn't get to Rome at that very moment. So he wrote the letter that you and I are studying at this time. He wrote Romans to elaborate on the message of the gospel. And in the two verses that we are examined this morning, Paul gives a synopsis of the theme of this entire letter. In fact, he closes out his introduction, and these two verses are kind of like the transition. He ends his introduction and he leads to the body of the book, which is the message of the gospel, which he unfolds in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and throughout, and then the implications of the gospel in verses tw- in chapters 12 through 16. These verses that we look at today in our many ways like the towering Grand Tetons in Wyoming. They stand as beautiful mountains there in the valley. And they declare to us the message and the power of the gospel. This morning, I would love for you to catch and see the good news of salvation and that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ. You may not be aware of it, but humanity is in a much more desperate situation and condition than the residents of Galveston on that fateful Saturday morning. A storm is coming, and the gospel is the only answer. And in our text this morning, we see three aspects of, and I'll answer three questions in reference to this. What is the gospel? 
Who, to whom are the recipients of this gospel? And how is this gospel actually received? So what is this gospel that Paul announces? Well, of course, many of you who've heard this word all your life, the word gospel means good news. In, in the first verse of this letter, we are told that it is the gospel of God. God's good news. If anyone has good news, if it's God's, you better listen to it. We learned a few verses later in verse 9 that it is also the gospel of his son. And of course, his son is referring to Jesus Christ. So this is the gospel of the father, God, and it is the gospel of the son, who is also God. So this is the gospel, the good news of the Godhead. What is this incredible news? Well, the rest of Romans, this letter, unveils it to us. In fact, I grew up in church, and one of the ways that uh, I was discipled and learning what the gospel was, well, I was taught a little uh, way of presenting the gospel called the Romans Road. And of course, the Romans Road are four different verses in your Bible, uh, particularly in the book of Romans, that lead you to the elements of the gospel. Of course, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That one shows us that we are all broken and sinners. And then the, the penalty of first sin, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then of course, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans is a book that unveils the gospel. And here, Paul presents in, in capsule form what this beautiful gospel is. And we must accept it. He spells out the gospel in other places. In fact, I had Josh read at the beginning of our service, not simply the theological truths of the gospel, but he read the historical events of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me remind you of them. What were they? Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So it's this gospel is something that you and I are supposed to stand on, that we are supposed to receive, that we are suppo- that is actually what it's going, going to save us, If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he gives the elements of the gospel. For I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received. How Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Of course, we know he died on the cross. Not only that, that he was buried. He was buried in a tomb. And not only was he buried, but he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though many have fallen asleep. The gospel 
is the message of Jesus Christ. And in our text this morning, it tells us some characteristics of this gospel. Look what it says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. So what is this gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So number one, it is the power of God. Now, when you think of God's power, we often think of what I referred to at the beginning of our message, storm. Maybe you see a lightning storm and you're like, man, that is powerful works of God or an earthquake or a volcano eruption. Oftentimes when you hear of these great natural events, they call them acts of what? Acts of God. Of course, our world who has rejected God say they're just random acts of nature. But our Bible teaches that God, with, God orders this universe. Nothing happens without his notice. In fact, Jesus said that is, in many ways, behold the fowls of the air, how he takes care of them. He feeds them. We often think of the power of God being some big acts of nature. However, the Bible teaches, and the Bible identifies, and Paul here in Romans 1.16 identifies that God's power, he has packed into the gospel. In fact, the gospel is the power for salvation. How this world can be saved from destruction. In fact, God packed into the message of the cross this power. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1. For the word of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, is folly or moronic to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the gospel is what? It is the power of God. You know what, if you lived in the world that Paul lived in, you would have thought that power was manifested in Rome. You could have walked the streets of Rome. You could have seen the architecture there. You could have seen their army. You could have seen their ability to build roads all across the world. You could have seen their merchant ships. And when you would have thought power, you would have thought Rome. But Paul, as he writes the very people who were the bystanders to that great empire, he says, let me tell you what power is. Let me tell you where the great power of God is manifested. It is manifested in the gospel. Because it's the gospel that can breathe life into dead men. It is the gospel that has power to save men from death and ultimately to save men from hell. It has the power to save a person eternally. It can save you from a life of waste, of death and hell, but it can also save you to God's purpose, God's glory, and eternal joy in his presence. And Paul announces here that the gospel is God's power to salvation. And he didn't have any shame in telling people this. You know, it would have been easy. I mean, think about it. The Apostle Paul believed that a Jewish man from Nazareth, one of the smallest towns, was none other 
than the God of the universe who lived a flawless life and died on a cross but then resurrected. Paul believed in that. And he said this, I am not ashamed of it. Because actually it's within that message that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and died on a cross for man's sins. That ultimately, if you can understand that, that is the power of God that will save your soul and give you hope in life and give you hope in death. It is the power of God to salvation. This showed his belief. He wasn't ashamed of it. And then he expands on what the gospel is in the next verse. Go to verse 17. He says this, for in it, it is referring to the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel is not simply the power of God to save you, but also it is where you can find God's righteousness. Now, what's, what's this talking about? I mean, look at the verse again. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed or uncovered or disclosed. What is this righteousness that's being spoken of here. Well, some people believe that he's talking about simply in the gospel, you, you can see this attribute of God's character. In the gospel, you learn that God is righteous. It's almost like this, that God is rich. Okay, he has a characteristic of being a rich God. He's righteous, that's his attribute. Or it could be talking about this. It's a status that God gives. In the gospel, you learn how you can be given God's righteousness. Really what he's saying is this, how you can inherit his riches on your behalf. In the gospel, you learn how you can take on the status of being a righteous person. Or is it simply a description of God's activity? In the gospel, you learn how he, God, righteously works for man's salvation. So it's almost like if you take the idea of riches, one would be his attribute, he's rich. One would be what he can give you in inheritance. And the third one would be, he's just generous. You're just gonna learn he does generously. This is how he generously works. What's going on here? Lots of discussion about this, but I believe, okay, oftentimes when you come to a decision like this, you read the commentators, you kind of talk with these people who in many ways have studied this text. I believe that all three are wrapped up in here. What I believe is happening here, it's this. In the gospel, God's righteous acting in giving sinful sinners his righteousness. In the gospel, what I believe is happening is this. You can find how you can receive God's righteousness to your account. 
fact, Paul talks about this when he writes another letter. We looked at this when we studied the book of Philippians. In Philippians 3, he realized that if he was going to stand before God, if he showed up to heaven in his own righteousness, he was in trouble. He needed a different righteousness. He said this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul knew that he and his own man-made righteousness would perish in hell. He needed a righteousness, the righteousness of another. You know, at each Sunday we throw up a QR code. And that QR code, I mean, you can scan it and you can say that you've been a visitor here. I've I found more and more that now in order to even go to a, uh, an event, maybe it's a concert or a, a ball game, most tickets now have what? QR codes. And in order to get in there, you need to have the right QR code to get in there. Now, let's say I wanted to go to the World Series. Let's say, hey man, I can... I can see what the ticket looks like. I'm going to create my own QR code. So I'm really good and I kind of create my own uh, QR code. Maybe I, I'm, I'm really particular on it. But when I get up to the scanner, if it's off, not authentic, you can create your own QR code. But if it's not authentic, when you get there, you're, you're going to be denied entrance. For you and I to ever have entrance into heaven... None of us have the QR code or the righteousness to get ourselves there. In fact, the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is only one, one righteousness, one, you could say it, QR code that will get you into heaven. And that is the righteousness that Jesus Christ has and is. And the only way that you can ever enter heaven is you need Christ's righteousness credited to your account. And when Paul says in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God has been unveiled. Here is how you can receive righteousness to be able to live eternally with God. Because ultimately, the prize is not heaven. That's the place. The prize is God and living in relationship with him. So what is the gospel? The gospel is this incredible message wrapped up in a person, Jesus. It has the power to save your soul. It is the power of God to salvation. For in the gospel, God reveals how you can receive his righteousness and have eternity with him. That's why Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. In fact, I'm not ashamed of it. I want everyone to know this message. So what is the gospel? He tells us what it is. It's the power of God to salvation. It's the righteousness of God revealed. Now our text tells us who are the recipients 
To whom is this gospel available? Notice again what verse 16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to what? To everyone. Here we see the availability of the gospel. Everyone can receive it. We see that explicitly at the beginning of the verse. Notice now at the end of the verse, it says this. He says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews was referring to the ethnic Jews and the Greeks referred to non-Jews, which are Gentiles. That's the rest of us who are not Jewish. So this gospel is to everyone, the Jewish people and also to the Gentiles. You say, now why did it say to the Jew first? Well, many of you know that God selected a nation to be the nursery from which Messiah would come. He chose Abraham. And from Abraham, he says, from you one day is going to come one who I will give him a land. I will give him a people. And from him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And of course, that line continued to narrow to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, and then ultimately to David. And then the ultimate fulfillment was Jesus Christ who came. But it was to that nation that was the nursery. God gave his word. He gave the law. And they had a special place in the revelation. In fact, when Paul would go to the various cities, even on his missionary journeys, he would go first to the synagogues because they had all the background of all the Old Testament and he would preach to them Christ. But who is the gospel for? The gospel, yes, it was first to the Jews, but ultimately it's to everyone who will accept him. Salvation is for all of Roswell. It's for all of Atlanta. In fact, later in Romans, as I quoted earlier in the service, in Romans 10, 13, it says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may be here today and wonder if God could truly offer you salvation. Some of you today, you think about your own sin and all that you have done in this life. Let me tell you, because of your sin, you are under the wrath of God. The soul that sins, the Bible says, shall die. And the older you get, you realize how quickly death is coming. The outward man is what? Perishing. Just thinking the thoughts even yesterday, where I think I've said it in here, no one from the 1800s is alive anymore. None of them survived. Okay? And there's going to be a day that everyone who was born in the 1900s is going to be dead. And then those of you who are born in this century, if God tarries his second coming, death is coming. But God offers to forgive you of your sin. It is for all of us. And Paul saw how the gospel could change anybody. Remember when we were back in Philippians and when he went to Philippi and he He arrived in that particular city and he began to preach the gospel and you saw how the gospel penetrated three different social areas of the strata of their organization. You saw it reach a businesswoman who you could say was a high class businesswoman named Lydia. 
She heard the gospel and her life was changed. But not only that, you see it affect a middle class corrections officer. Where he hears the message of the gospel and he's saved. But not only that, it penetrates even the lower class where a slave girl is healed. And ultimately the implication is, did did she come to Christ? Let me tell you, the gospel can affect all the different social stratus. It's for everybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. So if you're here today and you're wondering, can Jesus Christ save me? Let me tell you, yes, he can. He has the power to save your soul. What is the gospel? I've given it to you. To whom is it available? It's available to all. He can save you. In fact, our church, you know what it is? It's a melting pot of people from all different groups, all different places of the world. So how is this message received? What must happen with this good news? How is this gospel to be received? Notice verse 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who what? Who believes. You have got to believe it. That concept is expanded in verse 17. And he uses the same word at least three different times. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So it's called believing and it's called faith. What is this believing in faith? You know, as you study your Bible, this is not simply a mere understanding of facts. You may be here today and you may believe the facts of the gospel. Yeah, I believe that Jesus lived. I believe that he he lived in Israel at the particular time that he lived in. You may even believe that he died on the cross. You may even believe that he rose from the dead. You can have an understanding of those things. But you know what? You're just like, let's say, a demon. Because the demons know who he is. And the demons know that he lived and died and rose again. In fact, it says in James, I'll believe us that there is one God that'll do us well. The devils also believe and tremble. But just having an understanding of the gospel elements doesn't save you. It is where you understand what Jesus, who he is and what he did, but then you agree with it. And then ultimately you place your trust in it. You have to depend on Jesus to be your savior. It is a commitment to him. It is a commitment to become his follower. It's where you believe that actually he was God. He died for you and you depend on him. It's not where you add Christ to your pantheon of gods. It's where you depend on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says this, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. You know, we live in a very pluralistic society. They think this, 
You know what? All these people are going to get to God different ways. It's like God's on the top of the mountain and that, okay, the, the Hindus are going to go up this way and then the Muslims are going to go up this way and the Christians are going to go up this way. We're all going to get there our own different ways. That is a lie from hell. The true story of the gospel is that the God who is on top of the mountain came down from his mountain and took on a human body eternally. And he became man to die in your place for your sin. And you have to depend on him. He says this, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the father, but by me. And it's where you choose to place your dependence upon him. The sad thing is a lot of Christianity, we have a lot of cultural Christians, you know what they're relying on to get themselves to heaven? They're depending on their own performance to get them there. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And if my bad stuff outweighs my good stuff, that's going to get me there. And their God is themselves. And ultimately, you're going to have to come to a place where you realize that none of your righteousness will ever do anything. It will not be the QR code that will get you into heaven. There's only one QR code, and it's only going to be given to you through Jesus, and you have to come by faith and depend on him for it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That little phrase, from faith to faith, in our translation it says here, from faith for faith. What I believe it's talking about here is that salvation is, means faith from first to last, from beginning to end. The idea here is that from this person's faith to this person's faith to this person's faith, It's for every believer. And then Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. He says, for it is written. And uh, oftentimes in the book of Romans, what Paul does is, of course, he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And he quotes from the Old Testament. And he quotes this prophet named Habakkuk who wrote like 600 years before. And Habakkuk's complaining to God because the Babylonians are invading Israel. And Judah, the nation of Judah, is about to go into captivity. And Habakkuk's like, God, why are you allowing the Babylonians, who are even worse than us, to bring in all this pressure? And they're going to they're take us into captivity. It, it looks so bad. And, and God comes back and says, guess what? It's going to get worse. And... And Habakkuk's like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I, how do I, how am I going to make it through life? And in Habakkuk chapter two, he's told that the just, those who are righteous are ones who live by faith. They live depending and believing on God. And literally the phrase there means this, he who through faith is righteous shall live. In fact, that righteousness by faith is elaborated on in the rest of the letter. So if you're here today, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. You know, why why do I believe that the moment I died, that I would go right into God's presence to live there forever? 
It's because my faith is no longer on Brian Peterson. It was many years ago. I don't know when exactly it happened. I've told you this before, that I transferred my faith away from Brian and from being religious, from any of this. I placed it on Jesus Christ. And because my faith is in him, because of what he did on the cross, I'm saved. I often ask people, what are you depending on to get yourself to heaven? And if, let's say I asked you that, what are you depending on to get yourself to heaven? If you'd like, oh, well, I went to church, or if anything comes up with what you do or what you did, rather than, you know what? It's nothing in me, it's all Jesus. I've transferred my, my life away from me, it's on him. That's the message of the gospel. That's the way to be saved. And I'll tell you this, Paul wasn't ashamed of it. He was eager to give that gospel in Rome. You know, on that same fateful September day, September 8th, 1900, a man by the name of John Poe was coming into Galveston. It was around noon aboard a locomotive with two coaches and 95 passengers. The tracks ended at Boulevard Point. And it was at this particular point, normally the locomotive would come and a ferry would come and the locomotive would pull onto the ferry and then it would be transported across the bay into Galveston. But that day when they, they got to Boulevard Point and they were watching the ferry trying to make its way in these swells, they realized that the ferry, uh, the ferry crew could not get the ferry into the dock and they realized we're abandoning this. There's no way to get to the place to get this locomotive across to Galveston. So when it couldn't dock, the locomotive just backed up a little bit and sat there as the hurricane struck that particular city and the water began to rise. Poe saw a lighthouse about a quarter of a mile away. At the time, of course, trains were the biggest, toughest things people knew. Okay. They could trust a train. This is going to, I mean, it's big, it's not being moved around, but Poe didn't trust it. And so he and nine others abandoned the train for the lighthouse, of course, wading through deep water. When they arrived in that twisted stairwell, there were already 200 people inside. The next day, following the storm, they found that all the other 85 passengers on the locomotives died. The only nine to survive were the ones who went to the lighthouse. Let me tell you, there is a storm coming. And the only good news is that Jesus Christ came and he is the lighthouse. He says this, I'm the light of the world. You've got to go to the light and depend on him. If your trust and your salvation is in anything other than Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. 
Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Anyone who goes to him, he'll save you. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, you realize how you can receive the righteousness of God from faith to faith because the just, those who are righteous, who become that by faith, shall live. So abandon your own way and turn to him for salvation. And if you have, don't be ashamed of that message. Herald it wherever you may be. Let's pray. Dear Father, would you now do a spiritual work that I cannot do? Would your spirit work in the hearts of those in this room who've never depended on Jesus Christ as their Savior? With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let me invite you. If you're here today and you are searching to know how do I save, how do I get saved from this broken world? Where do I turn? Let me encourage you even now to turn to Jesus Christ. That you would depend on him. Ask him to be your savior. You know what? He's listening now. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And maybe today it's the first time you've ever realized, hey, I need Christ. Well, you've come to the right place and you've heard of the right person. And let me encourage you to call on him to be your savior. Pray to him now. In the quietness of this moment, If you're here today and you're not sure whether you've ever come to know him and I need to talk to to someone more about it, let me invite you to, after the service today, come to the guest reception. Tell me, hey, I need to know how I can begin a life with God. You who are sitting here as well, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and maybe... You reflect on when was the last time I shared the message of the gospel? Some of you would have been last week. Praise the Lord for that. But are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Maybe it's the, that's the work God needs to do in your heart today. You're someone, your whole life has been an evidence that right now you don't share it. And evidently, there's some shame about this message. And maybe you need to confess that to the Lord and say, God, help me to be bold and eager to present that. Whatever God's doing in your life, would you take a moment and ask God to work in your heart in whatever way he would see fit? You talk to the Lord right now. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.